Greetings, Quester, and welcome to the Bard's Corner with Matt and Heather. And joining us today, a very special guest. Hello, Key. Hey. Thank you very much for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Where are you at, Matt? I'm in Nottingham. Robin Hood country, that sounds great. Yeah. Where about to see you? I'm in Gothenburg, you know, in the southwest of Sweden. I hear it's a beautiful place. It is really cool, and it's actually the, the rock and roll city of, of Sweden, I would say, you know, traditionally. It's a working class city with, you know, a great tradition in hard rock. Yeah, it's one of, one of the places I've always wanted to visit. Bands are, always seem to be playing at. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's awesome. Got a pretty, pretty interesting history as well. I mean, it was once upon a time it was a Dutch colony, so uh, before they, you know, uh, rearranged the, the the city, you know, it was like little Amsterdam, with a lot of canals and stuff all over the place. Sounds beautiful. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you for joining us today, Key. Uh, first off, just to start off. I wanted to ask, your latest band, Key of Hearts, it's got you on lead guitar, Tommy Hart of Fear Warning on vocals, Ken Sandin of Alien on bass, and Alessandro Dalvecchio on keyboard. So what brought you all together? How did th- that band form? The thing is, it was uh, the instigators were uh, Serafino and Mario at uh, Frontiers Records. And they had an idea of putting me and Tommy in the same band, and they, they pretty much called me and asked me what I, how I felt about that idea. And I thought it was a brilliant idea, which I never thought of myself, but now when I brought it up, it, it sounded like a great idea. We talked about it, and, and we pretty much straight away started recording. Well, I, I brought Ken Sandin with me. He plays in Key Marcello band, so we go way back. We played together since 2000. So, uh, he came along, and uh, I know of Alessandro Del Vecchio, and uh, in earlier occasions, I was I'm signed to Frontiers with my with my solo band, so these were not strangers, like anyway. So that's how you all came together. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, now your album Key of Hearts was released on the fifteenth of September. How do you feel about the response to it so far? It's been amazing. I mean, it's been selling really well. Uh, I mean, not surprisingly, in, in the, some of the strongest uh, territories for fire warning in Europe, you know, like Asia and South America, but even in America. So it's doing surprisingly well. I don't know what we did expect, really. It's really hard nowadays to break a new band and expect to sell any units, but yeah. We're giving away units, so it's, it's looking good. Do you feel it's a bit easier to uh, break a new band, though, when you've got people that are already well-known from existing bands? I mean, Fair Warning are very popular. You've played with some very well-known, very big bands in the past as well. So that's that's got to help boost the interest, doesn't it? It definitely does. And, and I've been involved in, in other projects with, with famous names, but I think... Me and Tommy were kind of standout members of each of our bands, and I think people are curious about the combination. You know, how's the marriage between me and Tommy, so to speak? And, <laughs> and and I think it really works. 
that was one of the things that surprised me that it felt like we've been playing together for 10 years already, you know, which is always a good sign, you know, when things are effortless. The best music comes out of that. It does feel like you've both been able to bring your various styles to Key of Hearts. It's not like one person is dominating. No, that's true. That's also not a good thing. I mean, I've been, in, in, not to mention any names, but I've been in projects where, you know, one person colour the project a lot, whilst the other sort of team tend to follow that direction. Right here, it was like a witch's brew from, from the get-go. We got in there and then the mixture of the two was was the result, you know? How long went into like the writing and recording of the Key of Hearts album? Actually, we didn't write a whole, de- a whole deal for this album. It's mostly Alessandro Del Vecchio and some outside writers and I thought that was really interesting to get into a project not being the main writer, which I'm obviously used to, to go in with the, the guitar player's point of view and, and just dig into a new project, concentrating on the melody lines and uh, and getting the right arrangements for the guitar and all that. And so it's been 100% focused on melodies for this, you know? Because I know Alessandro also, he produced, mixed and recorded the album, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And and, uh, and he's playing the keyboards, of course, you know. So he's putting, a, he's putting a big mark on this album, for sure. What's he like to work with? Oh, he's great. Really, really calm and nice and, uh, you know, easy to talk to, you know. Great. Never a problem in the world. When you listen to the Key of Hearts album, what's your favourite song on there, would you say? It varies right now. I mean, it's still kind of new for us. I mean, so right now it's Mama Don't Cry. I think it's really interesting because it's got that verse, that big verse, sort of melodramatic almost, very melodic in a Europe journey way. And then it goes into a, a... more major sounding, you know, more positive chorus. And I think the contrast is very interesting. That's what I like most that's, right now. I'm glad you said that, because that's actually my favourite song on the album as well. Oh, really? Great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what plans do you have to tour with Key of Hearts? Well, yeah, we're talking about it right now. We're getting a lot of offers, uh, you know, because of uh, the success of the sales right now. So we, we're getting offers from South America, the US, uh, Southeast Asia, namely Japan, where both Europe and Fair Warning were really big. So it's looking really good right now. Uh, we have to, uh, with us, right now we're both busy. Tommy is right now in, in the States and I'm working on a show, which I'm gonna do November and December here in Sweden. So. Uh, uh, we're gonna start working, thinking about this early next year, and we're aiming to uh, do some major festivals starting the summer of 2018, and then keep on touring during the fall. As well as guitars, on a lot of your solo albums, you've uh, sang lead vocals. So I was wondering, when you're working on a project, how do you decide whether to do the vocals yourself or? bring in another singer do you have a particular process for that not really I mean sometimes it's a matter of writing a song and, and 
all of a sudden you're realizing maybe I shouldn't sing this. Maybe this guy should sing it. You know, it actually the song will tell you. The project will tell you who's going to be on on the record. It's kind of funny, you know. It's like uh, Keith Richards once said: you actually don't write the songs; they're in the air. You just take them down. You know. I like that quote. Like fruit. <laughs> this is an inter- interesting thought, but I think within the projects you're doing, uh, you feel which way it's going to take, you know, which direction. Now, I was reading the other day that your first band, Easy Action, was the first Scandinavian band to sign a worldwide label deal with the US label. Yeah. Can you tell us about, about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, back in the, the early 80s, uh, the music industry really, really didn't feel that bands that did not come from uh, the UK or America was credible. You know, when it came to rock and roll, the only exception being the Scorpions, and and they they broke by touring like crazy for decades before they got their first record, major record in in America, and they actually opened up a lot of doors for us. That it was around that time that uh, it opened up a little bit. But Easy Action, my then band, was the first band to ever get signed by a US major label. And we got signed by Seymour Stein, which is a legend, a Warner legend. He signed Madonna and a lot of big acts. He's one of those really, you know, like Walter Yetnikov for Sony and Alfred Ertegan and uh, Clyde Davis. He's one of those names. And, and the thing is, I'm not quite sure he even knew we were Swedish. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had an American Indian guy, Sonny Tandon, was our manager. And he sounded very American, and they met at Midem, you know, the, the music fair in these, and uh, in Cannes, sorry. And uh, uh, we all had stage names. I mean, we all had Swedish names, but we changed the stage names with, for this product, Easy Action. So I'm not quite, quite sure he ever knew that we were Swedish. And I'm also quite sure that the manager appreciated that if he would stress that we were Swedish, maybe we would lose the deal, you know? You really so think it would have had a negative maybe. impact? Oh, it definitely had back then. I, I know loads of examples where people uh, got turned down because, I mean, oh, you guys from Scandinavia, oh, all right. We'll call you, don't call us. That kind of thing, you know? What do you think was the reason behind I mean, that? I think the credibility, first of all, Obviously, people weren't speaking English the same way they do today, and uh, and, and also logistically, it's cheaper to you know uh, have a, Brit- a British band signed to Virgin in Britain, you know, than flying people back and forth. But uh, with Easy Action, I started to do that. I mean, we we were signed to Warner, and the closest office was uh, in London, so they flew us back and forth all the time, and seemed to work out all right. You do you know? feel that that then opened the gates for a lot of other bands to have the same op- opportunity? Oh, absolutely. I mean, before that, it was nothing. You know, Not even, not even ABBA had a major label. I think that was partly by choice because their manager was had a different idea of how to pursue uh, their careers. But, you know, uh, after we signed with Easy Action, then I think Europe was next and then Treat... Uh, Alien, two twenty volts, and what, you know all of them. So that was like uh, uh, the door opener. 
That's quite a major milestone then for Scandinavian rock. Uh, yeah, I would say so. Now, this is something I don't get to ask very often, but is it true that you race horses? Yeah, <laughs> it's actually true. It's actually harness race driving. It's not that big in England. I know you're more into uh, what is it, galop? When you're actually back riding, yeah. Horse. This is you're sitting in a in a in a, in a wagon behind the horse. You know. So how did that come about? Well, it started with me being in a kind of silly TV show where celebrities compete. You know, trying to uh, learn how to become a harness race driver, and I won the whole thing. You know, it was a lot of different people, like uh, uh, some you know, Olympic uh, athlete, and it was an, an actor, and you know, all kinds of different people. And for some reason, I, I looked like I had some sort of talent for this, and, and I won the whole thing. And after the show, I actually got myself a license. So I do this once in a while. It's really difficult to get really good, though. It's like somebody would tell me, you know, I'm going to learn how to play the guitar like you, Key. Next year, I'm going to be there where you're now. It's not, it doesn't happen that way. But to me, it's like a hobby right now. It's a very, um, what's the word? It's a very unusual leap from lead guitars to horse racing. <laughs> it is it's very 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 big leap from that but the thing is maybe that's the charm about it because it's completely different from my universe you know uh, venues and uh, backstage and uh, arenas and then do something completely different go to the stables socialize with the horses you know getting ready for races and all that it's a completely different world and it's really nice I mean it's like zen for me you mentioned that this all started because of a TV show. I've heard yeah. that you met your wife while you were appearing on a TV show as well. Is that, is that right? That, yeah, that's correct. It was actually a, a TV show called The Music Match or something like that. And I was competing uh, against Janne Schaffer and uh, uh, Mats Wilander. And, and those guys are both the guitar players of ABBA. And we were competing in this uh, sort of music quiz show, if you want. And um, she was the producer of that show. And I was I was living in Stockholm back then. And I was in Gothenburg for one day to record this show. And it, it was just one of those, we said, it was click. We clicked, and that was it. That's 22 uh -huh. years ago. In English, we say, love at first sight. Love at first sight. That's exactly what it was, actually. Now... I have to ask about your uh, time with Europe because I love Prisoners in Paradise and I love Superstitious. Um, but it was said uh, when Europe reunited that you weren't going to rejoin because of musical differences, but it's come out since then that there were issues with Joey and John and there were financial issues too. Can I just ask, have those been resolved and could you imagine yourself ever playing with Europe again? Actually, we're on the way of resolving the financial issues. Uh, a good start is that right now in, in America uh, there's been a precedent case where performers actually get, you know, they get back the rights for their albums after 30 years. And the final countdown was uh, a couple of years ago, uh, 2016, and uh, next year is out of this world. Uh, so uh, that's a good start to 
you know, we can go back and we can even do it an audit. We don't know what the record company has been doing since uh, we quit, mm. so to speak. So that's a good good start for that. And for sure, I could see myself doing something like a guest performance or anything like that. But I can never see myself going back into the band full time. Because oh, you're yeah. listening to Key of Hearts and some of your more recent stuff. You, it's definitely different to the material that Europe are doing now. Yeah, that that's we have some musical difference in, in, in terms of direction and all that, and that's not the kind of music I would like to play, you know. So that would be a no. But you know, if we did, if we did like a sort of a uh, special occasion gig where we. we we would uh, perform Prison of Paradise or Out of This World songs. I'm all up for it. Why not? You know, with how things finished up with Europe, looking back on your time with them, do you still feel that was a positive experience for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, it was an amazing time, and, and I would never want to be without it, you know. Uh, it was from, from the get-go, it was just like a amazing like a, a dream come true and even when we call it hiatus in uh, 1993 I guess it was a lot of people uh, wrongly wrote that was because of grunge but the thing is we were still selling millions of the units you know and if you do that the record company they don't think they don't think about trends that way. They want to have a new album, so they were actually on our case and really wanted an album after *Prisoners in Paradise*. But we, within the group, we were the ones that felt that maybe we didn't really feel at home within with the grunge scene at all. So we didn't see ourselves in in, in the whole mix of it of it all, you know. So uh, we decided to call it ideas. But the record company, they're they were on our case to get a new album. Because that was about the time you started to pursue your solo career, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I started around then, and in 95 was the, I released the first solo album, Shine On, yeah. Now, I just wanted to ask about your book, because you released an autobiography called The Rock Star That God Forgot. Um, can I just ask what made you decide yeah. to write that? Well, the thing is, so it's sort of an no-brainer I mean uh, I've been experiencing a lot of stuff and uh, some really groundbreaking stuff to be a, a Swedish musician so I just felt like I wanted to sh share my experiences and, and both good and bad I mean I didn't really want to leave anything out I just want to tell the story like I experienced it uh, so I wrote it in my very particular way of speaking Swedish which is kind of hard to explain but I come from the north of Sweden, but I sort of grew up in Stockholm as well. But, you know, basically I'm a hick that, that went to the big city when I was in my teens. So I speak like a mixture of Umeå accent, Stockholm slang, and then American uh, corporate bullshit and uh, music business lingo. So the language I use in the book has proven to be very difficult to translate. That's why it's not out in English yet. I had three translators having a go at the material, and this doesn't cut it. Nothing made it, you know. But it's also why, it's, why, 
why it became a bestseller in Sweden because it's it's really different, you know. Because it was a very open book, wasn't it? I mean, I've not been able to read it because I I can't read the the Swedish translation, but I've seen a few excerpts that have been uh, published. And it, it details right. uh, like your problems with Europe and with substance abuse. Was it difficult to write openly about those things? Not really. I mean, uh, uh, I had to give the family a hands up before it was released, obviously, you know, what was going to happen. But I'm quite convinced my kids didn't think I was uh, knitting backstage <laughs> back in the Europe. So uh, that was really not the hard part of the pro process at all. Now you wrote in there, for example, about uh, co cocaine and sex, right. drugs and rock and roll is was a big part of the industry back then. But what advice would you give to, say, a young musician just leaving school, entering the industry? What advice would you give him to avoid those pitfalls? Don't start. <laughs> it's as simple as that. I mean, it's it's today. It's even you know, it's, well, as accessible as it was back then. Back then, it was trivialized, especially in America. I mean, people thought people thought about cocaine as they think about energy drinks today. Basically, it was something a party opener. You know, that's what it was. But today, it's very accessible, and and I think uh, you know uh, the, the general feeling I have is. Some people are trying to downsize the importance of uh, doing cocaine, but it's, it's really bad for you. You know, you should never get started doing that. And it, it really slows everything up. Although the world is, it feels like the world is spinning faster, but you're, you're slowing down. You're getting, you're not getting things done. If you really want to think about your career, don't do it, you know, concentrate on the career instead. Become a workaholic. That's the same thing, but much more fun. Good advice. Now, thinking of your career so far, what would you say have been the biggest highlight or the proudest moments of your career? And what would you describe as the biggest challenge that you faced in your career? Well, the biggest highlights is, is possibly, you know, uh, the first time you go on a real big stadium tour, you know, with, with all that comes with it, you know, uh, that was almost unreal. That was I was like looking back at it, back at it right now. When I, I remember feeling, wow, this is I'm living my dream right now. This is exactly what I wanted, but only ten times bigger. I would never imagine that. That must have been you know uh, somewhere 1988, perhaps you know, and also the fact that I met all my you know idols and talk to them like friends, like equals, that, that was also mind-blowing, you know. Because like everybody else, I started off as a teenage kid in my room, you know, turning my shitty guitar into a shitty amp, trying to, you know, learn some riffs from my favorite records. That's like, that's like how a lot, a lot of people get started. And now I was there. And the difficult thing is probably to... Uh, you know, to maintain the quality. Once you're up there, you know that you have to redo it, but in a different way. On, on the first albums of any project you do, you have like years and years of ideas that you put into one album. And then you have to do pretty fast a follow-up album. And then you have no time at all 
to do an even better album with a slightly different angle. And I think that is very challenging every time I'm exposed to it. Do you feel when you've got that kind of pressure on you that it almost makes it more difficult to produce good material? Yes. I don't like that pressure at all, you know, and, and nowadays I try to not involve myself in, in, in projects where I'm at risk for being exposed to those that kind of pressure, you know. Uh, and that's, that has been a fantastic thing with Key of Hearts since, I mean, the key word for Key of Hearts is effortless. Everything has just been like running water I mean, we, we started working on this album and before we knew it, it was finished. And it turned out exactly like we wanted it. That's amazing. <laughs> Not a lot of project works that easy, you know. It's, uh, I suppose, the fact that you were very familiar with uh, Ken, you've worked together before, that must help contribute oh, to yeah. that as well. Oh, definitely. It was my suggestion to bring bring a can into the mix. I mean, we've been working since 2000 and we're like brothers, you know, we don't have to talk, we just play and, you know, we're like midi-fight. You want to talk <laughs> keyboard lingo. Connected, you know, electronically or psychologically. It really works when we play theater. Can I just ask, what projects are you working on at the moment? Right now, I'm writing for a show called Rock the Night, which is my first show, I, you know, I, I was in Rock of Ages, the Swedish production of Rock of Ages. Uh, we did several uh, uh, pieces of that in Stockholm and Gothamer. And after that, I worked on a, a concert version of Rock of Ages without the theatrical bit, just the music from it. And, uh, you know, for Rock of Ages in Sweden, they wrote me a part in it where I'm playing myself. You I heard that? that because you're basically a, a yeah. household name in Sweden. Yeah, yeah. And when they offered me to play in Rock of Ages, they, you know, they flew me to London and we saw we saw the production there. And after I said, well, I can't really see myself in there because in their in the, in the British production, the band is visible on stage. You know, they were in the dark pretty much for the entirety of the show. So I told them, this is not really my thing. I'm, I'm in front of stage or not. And then they told me, no, 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 we're not going to do it like that. You're gonna, we're going to write you a part where you're going to play yourself. You're going to be key on stage. And I was like, what? Is that even legal? Can you just take like a, a, a Broadway show and rewrite it and put new characters in there? That's yeah. incredible. We're cool. That must have yeah, been a, a real amazing moment to be a part of. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I'm playing myself now, back then. But, you know, who <laughs> wants to argue? <laughs> it's a great idea, anyway, and, and the audience loved it. So from that moment, I sort of became part of the whole Rock of Ages thing. And we did loads of tours with, with Rock of Eighties, which is the spin-off thing, the concert thing, and we did arenas and, uh, and theaters and all kinds of stuff and now this November December I'm doing my first the first show of my own which I'm producing me and my wife is producing it and I'm writing and doing the whole I'm doing the whole dialogue and everything in it you know 
together with so it's me and two other singers and a, a comedian and and the, the full key marcello band it's going to be loads of fun we're doing uh, 12 to 14 shows uh, in Helsingborg in Sweden and the first 12 shows they release the tickets and every ticket is gone it's sold out and the premiere is 17th of November so you know it's wow, going good sold out early then do you think you'll be adding more yeah, shows? I think so the pressure is going to be high I mean you can only get one ticket here and one on some of the shows and, and I mean, I think uh, it's going to be a demand for more tickets, and why not? Go for know? it. Yeah. Right. So, one one last question. What's your favorite song to play live? You mean from uh, Key of Hearts any or song. Any, any song? On stage. Wow. That's a pretty good question. Well, I have to say, I really enjoy playing Superstitious after all these years. Uh, it's just something about it, and you know, it, the song itself is good. And actually, by now, the guitar solo is pretty much more famous than the actual song. So it's, it's always a, a trip watching the audience every time I go into that melodic solo. And, and a lot of people go, aha! You know, it's kind of a funny feeling. But it's always great. We turn down houses every night with that song. Brilliant. So, finally, is there anything like you'd like to say to your fans here in the UK? Oh, I just want to say... Thanks a lot to all my faithful fans in the UK. I hope to come back on tour soon. We're actually planning a tour early next year, but it doesn't seem like I'm going to be able to make it. I'm too busy right now. So at least the fall of 2018, I'm hoping to come there with Kiel Horse. I mean, me and the fans in the UK go way back, and it's all started at the, the Hammersmith Odeon. Well, now it's Hammersmith Hall. Uh, we did two sold-out Hammersmiths. That was my first experience of London I, and, and of the UK in general, and I'll never forget it. When I came to the theater, I was actually kneeling, kissing the floor, knowing that all my idols play on that same floor. The Purple, Black Sabbath, Iraqi, Led Zeppelin. It's an incredible venue. There's got a lot of history there. Yeah, and you can feel it in the walls. Amazing. I love the Hammersmith. Fantastic. Well, thank you for taking time out to talk to us. You know, all the best for your shows in November and December. And we look forward to hearing more about your tour plans for next year. Thanks a lot, Matt. Thanks for having me. And uh, hope to meet you when, when we come to the UK. Oh, come find me and I'll get you a beer. Oh, that sounds amazing. Brilliant. We have <laughs> thank you, Key. Take care, Matt. Cheers. Farewell, Quester. To find out about other productions by the Middlesome Meeples, then check out our channel or rendezvous with us at middlesomemeeples.com. Until next time, Quester, farewell and keep thine axe sharp. <laughs>